to Capital Locust, the local government finance podcast from the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Talking local globally. This podcast explores ideas and thinking about the role of local government finance as an accelerator of international development in line with the Sustainable Development Goals and Paris Agreement. Welcome to the Capital Locust, Honorable Osei Asibi Antwi, the Mayor of Kumasi, and yes. also welcome Michael Ayemang, the Director of Planning from uh, Kumasi. So first, Honorable Mayor, to begin our conversation, could you just explain uh, your mandate, how long have you been Mayor, and then a little bit more about the city and your plans for the city. Over to you. Thank you very much. My name is Osei Asibi Antwi, as you have already mentioned. And I am the mayor of Kumasi. Kumasi is the capital of Ashanti region. Ashanti region, as you know, is a kingdom. The kingdom that is more than 300 years old. It's older than the country itself. Because the kingdom was there, and the kingdom was there before uh, the nation Ghana came into being. In that case, when you are a mayor of the city of Kumasi, you serve two masters. You serve the president of the republic, and at the same time, you serve the king. Because unlike the, all the other regions here, the land belongs to the king. The land belongs to the king. So the land tenure system uh, differs from that of the other regions. In our country, Ghana, it is the president that nominates you. And after the president has nominated you, then the General Assembly will vote on you. That is, they will confirm the president nominee. And that is exactly what took place. So I've been on this seat for three years and a half now. And before becoming the mayor of the city, I've once also worked in the region as the deputy regional minister before. And in my life too, I was a public servant having worked 10 years with the Internal Revenue Service as finance and administrative manager for 10 good years. So this is a brief about myself. And in political life too, I have also rose up to have taken the seat of regional affairs vice chairman of my party. And it's in, in no other place than the Ashanti region itself. The Ashanti region is the seat and the heart of the current ruling party. Thank you so much indeed, Honorable Mayor. Just a couple of questions then to clarify. The assembly that confirms your appointment or your nomination by the president, is, is that the elected assembly of the city of Kumasi? Uh, or is that a, a national assembly? Could you clarify that point? But you see, when we talk about our assembly, our assembly is an elected assembly. Our assembly is an elected assembly. So currently we have electoral areas that elect their members to come and represent them in the assembly. So we have 40 elected areas, meaning we have 40 representatives. Then apart from the 40 representatives, the president also nominate. So the president also nominate or appointed 20 to make it 60. So we have 60. But when I was appointed at that time, the assembly was so large to the extent that both the elected and the appointed assembly were so light to the number of 134. But because of the largeness of the assembly, the president thought it wise to carve out five municipal assemblies of the, the Kumasi, which was called the Greater Kumasi Assembly. So now we have Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly, and outside the Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly, we also have five municipal assembly. Initially, one was created out. So if you add that one, it becomes six municipalities working under the Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly to have the Greater Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly. In terms of population, the Greater Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly number is more than 3 million, whereas the total number for the region is about 5.2 million. So it tells you that in our part of the world here, the number, the population is in the middle. The population is in my city. Mm -hmm. Even though in terms of landmark, the region is so large, 
in the region is very large, and in the total region, we have 43 administrative districts. But with all the 43 administrative districts, the population is in my city. Then apart from the 3 million population of my city, we have a transit population of 1.5 million a day. So every day, we have 1.5 million people transcending into the city, others sleeping before they will continue their journey. Because we are in the middle. We are in the middle of the country. All the regions that are found in the southern part, that is all in the northern part of the country, they have to pass through my city before they get to the southern part. And those from Burkina Faso, that is a neighboring country, if they want to get to Greater Accra, that is the capital, they need to pass through my city. The Mali people, they pass through here. So all the population pass through the center before they get to the capital. And we also share boundaries with more than four regions. Mm. We share boundaries with a lot of the regions. So because the region shares a lot boundary with a lot of regions, they all also move into the city because the city has done business for a very long time. In the city is now being recognized in the whole of West Africa as a center of business. And we have the largest market in West Africa. So in terms of trading partnership, the city has a trading partner with Nigeria. We have a trading partner with Niger. We have a trading partner with Ivory Coast, with Mali, with Burkina Faso. And they all come into the city regularly to come and trade. So a city that used to be having all these people coming from all these various cities to come and trade with us, the COVID has affected us more. Very interesting, uh, Honorable Mayor. Thank you very much indeed. Now, you mentioned something at the beginning there, which I think is very relevant. You mentioned that uh, the Kumasi is, uh, is the capital of the Ashanti kingdom, that the king of Ashanti is, is, or the Ashanti uh, monarch is also there. And it, it reminds me of people often forget this when they talk about local governments and local government finance, because people, they often look at the country on the map and just say, oh, that is Ghana, or that is Nigeria, or, or whatever, or that is Thailand. But when you go to these countries themselves, when you understand them, it's very complicated the way they are made up. And countries are really, if you want to get to the engine of a country, to understand how that country really works, it's really the local government where the identity is. That's where the citizen and the state comes together, and that's where people really feel their identity, often more at the regional level or the, the city level, sometimes even than at the central level. And I think that you really touched on that, that um, Ashanti is older than Ghana as, as an institution. And, you know, that is, is pretty much the same almost all over the world. If you think about it, in the United States, the states are older than the Union. And uh, in many parts of the world, it's a similar arrangement, one way or another, that because people existed and they had institutions before the existing countries were established. Uh, and therefore, really, if you want to get to the bottom of local economic development and citizen engagement and really driving the development of the country, going through the local governments is the way to do it. And I noticed your comment there about the trade, because I don't know enough about the history of Ghana, but I do know that this trade is also likely to date back a long, long time that these people will have been trading for a long time and these uh, networks are there and they are well established. And so the city is the best focal point, the best convening entity to drive this local economic development. Maybe before we talk about COVID, you can explain a little bit about the trading and the economy of the Ashanti region, but in particular of your city, of Kumasi. Uh, over to you. Thank you very much. You see, first, I have to start from the economy of the region, zero it now to the economy of my city. When you talk of my region, the greater percentage of the people are farmers. A greater percentage of the people are farmers. So it, a lot of them are into the cultivation of cocoa. So that is why we talk about cocoa, then you are talking about Ashanti region. And in the same region also we have gold. That is why earlier on Ghana was called Gold Coast. 
And when Ghana was called Gold Coast, the first gold refinery, the, I would say the first gold was found in Asante region. That is Obuasi gold. That was where we were mining all our gold. Now, apart from Obuasi gold, we have as many as five international gold companies working within the Asante region. Kigan is here working, and they are all the main support for the country, Ghana. And apart from the cocoa, others were working in the area of coffee. Uh, initially, even they were working on tobacco and others, but now the tobacco farming has gone down. But they are now limiting it to the cocoa and the coffee. Then, uh, then the food crops are also there. Then they feed our market. So when you come to the city of Kumasi, the biggest market have to be a central point where the farmers bring their wares for it to be purchased by people from all the other regions. So there's a real connection from the Ashanti region villages to that of the city. So when we talk about uh, the 43 district assemblies, we have only seven district assemblies within the city called Kumasi Metropolitan Assembly, or the Kumasi as a whole, that is the greater Kumasi as a whole. But all the others work and feed our market to sell it out. So that is point number one. And apart from that, those from the northern regions and others, because of our long relationship with other countries and other uh, markets, other people who come to purchase from our market to feed years also bring their wares here. So in the morning, all the cars are coming in into the city. That is why I made mention of every day getting about 1.5 million people. So they all bring their wares from the various regions to come. Then apart from the market aspect, we also have other developmental uh, businesses. For instance, date back in 30 years ago, we used to have New Plant Ghana Limited, assembly plant for buses, assembly plant for buses. Then we also have Guinness Ghana Limited. That is a company that brew Guinness. We used to have beer, mm, Kumasi Brewway Limited. Now the Kumasi Brewway Limited have relocated to Accra, but yet they still bring all their wares here for the central distribution. Coca-Cola is also found here. Then we, there's also one interesting thing here. Of all the West Africa, we have the largest artisanry center where they repair the vehicles. The, that is a, a, a large place which is made up of mechanics that repair vehicles. And they are so expert in nature that people from Ivory Coast, Togo, and all the others normally bring their cars here for it to be serviced. Then one area to which gradually is positioning Kumasi very well is in the area of healthcare and education. All around Ashanti region, all around Ghana, are Francophone countries. You talk about Togo, they speak French. You talk about Burkina Faso, is French. Ivory Coast is French. Mali is French. And now, because the world has become so small, we have a lot of the English-speaking countries coming into the various countries around Ghana to work. But whenever they are sick, they prefer to come to Kumasi for medication, for health needs. So that one has also been bringing a lot of people to Kumasi just to come and seek for uh, health attention. Then in the area of education, yeah, we also have, we are fortunate and we have one of the university that is acclaimed internationally. And because of peace, I would say of all the country Ghana, the area where peace and stability is, is that of Kumasi and Ashanti region. And that one, the credit must go to the king because the whole land belongs to the king and the king has a lot of paramount chiefs working under him. Whatever the problem is, if the king speaks, peace prevails. And we are lucky we have a king that is being used by every president that comes into power. If today the king decides to move away from your party, you are going out. 
Mm. So that political stability is also there. So we've branded ourselves very well for the university, which is now attracting a lot of people from Nigeria, which is attracting people from Mali, Togo, Burkina Faso for insecurity. So health is pushing up there, education is there, the trading is also there, and the mechanics are also there. Our city is also a city of culture. History is there to prove it. The formation of the kingdom alone. If I want to talk about the formation of the kingdom, because it used to be eight different unit states that came together to form the kingdom called Ashanti region. So it's called Ashanti kingdom. So there's a lot of history there. And the reason why they came together was that because of the mineral resources that is found in this region, it was attracting a lot of countries to come and fight them for the minerals. So initially they were losing battles, but when they came together, they became so solid. And that is how come the name is Ashanti. Because of war, let's come together. That is the meaning of Ashanti. Because of war, let's come together to become united. And when they became united, they were able to fight to conquer more than 60% of the current landmark of the whole country until the British came and fought us. So we are on, on, on history, on records, that the British even fought this small Ashanti kingdom almost four times mm, before they were able to take our king from here to Seychelles Island. First, not even to take him from here to Seychelles Island, but they first took the king to Celeron. And the people from this kingdom traveled by walking from here to fight in Celeron for the release of their king. And when they saw that the people were so aggressive, then they took the king from Celeron to far place, which we cannot go there. So we have a whole lot of history to, to, to sell. That is a very rich and proud history, and it brings me to my next point, really, which is how, through the office of the mayor and through the local government, this, this is the place to, if you like, organize the local economy and to add value to the local economy through these elements you have talked about, the culture, the university, the learning, and the history. That is one part, and then you talk about the vehicle, the vehicle assembly, the vehicle repair. Another part. So when you look around the world, uh, what you see is that the cities that have managed to grow and improve the livelihoods for their population, they have not followed a race to the bottom. They have not just invited anybody in at the lowest price. No. What they have done is they have put together these what they call clusters, where they have a niche, they have an expertise in a particular area, and then you bring others in that can support that expertise and so you get a reputation for something and you are adding value you are adding quality and that means that there are better jobs better wages better livelihoods and the way you've described your understanding of the local economy uh, is very heartening to me it's really heartening to hear because i'm always advocating with mayors don't just say come and invest here anybody please come and we will not tax you don't say that Instead, look inside yourself first. What are your strengths? What are the sectors you want to develop? And build from your strengths. Uh, and that's the way you have described it. So I, it sounds to me like a really good development path. That's what we call local economic development. Now, the question I want to ask you, uh, Honorable Mayor, is that um, given these points you have mentioned, I also noticed that Kumasi has been expanding in size very quickly. You know, uh, not that long ago, there was a million people, now it's three million. And even in our lifetimes, there was less than a million. So the urbanization is rapid. And um, how are you coping with that? Uh, how are you going to uh, ensure that the city can keep pace, that the public transport, the housing, uh, so that you can also have increased productivity and, in, and better livelihoods at the same time as you are urbanizing, because the pace of urbanization just in our, in our lifetimes is extraordinary. Over to you, uh, Honorable Mayor. Thank you. See, first of all, what we have done SWOT analysis, and by going by the SWOT analysis, now we know our strengths, and our strength is the areas that have really made mentioned to you. 
mm, about the niche in the area of education, the niche in the, in the area of trade, in the area of health, and the stability that we are enjoying, and the king that we are, we are having to serve as a backbone for anything that we want to do. So we have a lot of strength to stand with. And when we liken our situation to that of an old lady, when an old lady is growing, you grow to a certain age and it also has its own challenges. So now as a city, the main challenges facing the city has to do in the area of conjecture area of conjection. So conjection, we have to look at it from two areas. That is a vehicular conjection and that of the human conjection. Then with the vehicular conjection, it also brings on board another business entity. So what we need to do now is that the earlier planners of the city plan the city in such a way that all the 1.5 million people are coming into the center. So now we need to move, move some of the activities to the other satellite market. And by moving them, it will mean that we need to now start creating terminals outside the internal city. And so we have to move more, build more than four terminals. By moving the terminals, then you will be taking away some of the vehicles from the city center. Again, because we don't have multi-story car parks. So people are using their own street parking, which is also adding up to the congestion of the city. So now we are also, we have moved out there by doing a lot of studies, by advertising ourselves that we need a lot of companies to come in and build multi-story car parks because we've done this, the survey, we've done the counting, we have the numbers, and anybody that comes in to build car parks within the shortest time, he will get his money back plus profit. The rateable returns is so high. So that one, even though it's a challenge, it also produces an opportunity for investment. In the area of human traffic, human traffic, why are the people coming into the city center? The people are coming into the city center because of the activities. So now we are also moving some of the activities to the peripheral of the cities. And that is also going to help us, uh, help us to be able to move the, the load out. And by moving the load out, we are decongesting. Then in the area, we also need to work on accommodation. And the accommodation has also become an issue because a lot of people are coming into the city center. And whilst a lot of people are coming in, then they will need a place to lay their heads. So there's a high demand for accommodation. That is why as a city, we've taken a bold decision that we need to go, there in, go outside there to get money, not only relying on the central government. And how do we do it? International Municipal Investment Fund is the way forward. If you are able to raise money out there through municipal funds, municipal bonds, that is, that is where we, is what, is, what is going to help us. So we have had a lot of discussion with the Minister of Finance. And for your information, throughout the whole country, we are the first assembly to, to be allowed to borrow. Because now there was the need for the assembly to have one market built. And when we estimated it, the cost was $245 million we approach the central government that we want to borrow, but the laws do not support us. We dialogue with the government, and now the government has supported us by allowing us to borrow on, uh, on the government, with the government standing in for us, with the government providing the security. So the government assisted us, we borrowed, and we've been able to build the first phase of the market. Then, after building the first phase of the market, the parliament now unlent the money that the central government borrowed onto the assembly to pay. And we are working towards paying that. Because of the things that we put in place, which entice the central government, they've also supported us again by helping us to borrow more than 220 million euros for the second phase of the market. So this tells you that the central government has a lot of confidence with the local assembly, our assembly. So 
going forward, we now want to move into the International Municipal Investment Fund, which we know you will support us in getting there. And if you are able to raise money from outside, then I can tell you by 15 years, 10 years, Kumasi will be on top. And with all these things, Kumasi was not having international airport. But now, central government is built in as international airport, which is more than 60% complete now. So when this airport comes to play, then straight away the city is also going to change. Thank you very much indeed, Honourable Mayor. That's a, um, very interesting. Yes, and as you know, we at United Nations Capital Development Fund have been leading the creation of the International Municipal Investment Fund. In fact, we sponsored it and created it. It was our invention together with United Cities and local governments. And we're really delighted and proud that Kumasi uh, is one of the first cities to move an investment forward to this fund. And the whole purpose of the International Municipal Investment Fund is to create the kind of change in the policy environment, in the regulatory environment that you have spoken about, so that countries can see, and Ghana, you have an enlightened uh, leadership that sees. The way forward is to allow your local governments to borrow. You can't do it all through the Ministry of Finance. You're going to have to let these municipal assemblies plan and borrow against their own balance sheets, the way that you have done. And you have managed to get a guarantee from central government, but essentially, you're borrowing against your own balance sheet. So that is a really positive step forward. And that's the only way that these cities will be able to modernize themselves given the, the, the rapid growth. We're going to move on to the COVID crisis in a minute. But just before we get there, I wanted to ask you about climate change. How is Kumasi coping with that? And do you see contradictions in terms of multi-story car parks are good things uh, in the sense that they can um, remove the congestion from the streets? But in the longer term, if you need to have, um, uh, you know, if you're going to have a city of, of three, four, five million people, you look around the world and they have mass transport. And how do you see uh, making Kumasi even greener uh, and open space, public transport, these kind of things into the future? Uh, over to you, uh, Mayor. That is a good question that has been tossed to us. Because if you want to talk about keeping the city clean and green, it is Kumasi you need to come. Because uh, years ago, Kumasi was called the Garden City of West Africa. So when I took over, immediately I took over, my first task was how to bring back the city into that glory. So three years ago, we launched Operation Keep the City Clean and Green. And massively, we started planting the trees all along the river bodies, all in, into the city centers, educating each house to have a tree in front of the house. And the exercise is going on so well. That is why it even caught the attention of the European Union ambassador to come into the country, Ghana, then straight into my city. So now we have European Union tree village. Well, just to do that one, to endorse what the assembly is doing. The assembly is so mindful of the climate change that we together we can work to solve that crisis. That has to do with the excessive heat that is creating a lot of problems. So now I walk through my city and I'm so happy because all the trees that we planted three years ago have started showing up. The education has gone on well and it has been taken over by the schools. All the school children now knows that together we grow as a city, plant a tree and save a life. That one is also ongoing. And we did realize that years ago, Kumasi used to have transport system, that is big transport system. But along the line, it died down. So when we came, we also dialogue with the president and dialogue with the government. And now we are also reintroducing the mass transit system. So now straight away, the government gave us 60 buses. And fortunately for us, we are working with some of the international bodies, groups in helping us towards the implementation of the metro bus system. Other countries have done it, it has failed. Even Accra City did it and it failed. So just learning from how they started and how they failed, we do not want to fail. So now we have started implementing our busing system, even though it's not too long, but we are making sources and others are coming in. 
we are partnering with Aston and others also to help us to regulate it. Then, apart from that, when we are able also to get this funding support, that is the area we want to go. Because now we need more buses, we need more buses to replace the smaller one. It will surprise you to know that in the morning, we have the, the small cars that takes only 10 passengers, numerous on the road. So how do you solve the problem? You can only solve the problem by getting the buses. If you get the buses, you place it, then you can ask them to go into the, if the far away, bring the people, feed them. Because we have the inner ring road and we have the external ring road. So the smaller one can work at the external ring road, bring them to the internal ring road for the buses to take them. And straight away, the city congestion will be a thing of the past. Indeed. And your water management, how are you coping with that? I mean, the growing city and the issue of climate change, uh, do you have enough long-term water supplies for your city? Uh, over to you. Yeah, Kumasi, we do not have problem with water because uh, we have as many as 10 natural rivers taking its source right from the city centers. And therefore, even though we have the waterworks working for the whole region, that is, we have a dam somewhere that, or have a dam that supply water into the city center. But in my city, a lot of the houses have mechanized boreholes. Mechanized boreholes. So you only have, need to have a mechanized borehole and straight away you have your water to drink. So that one is also helping us. And because we are also protecting all the river bodies, we are protecting the river bodies so the, the, what the rivers keeps on flowing. So we are mindful. And fortunately, like Radley said, I have 16 departments working under me. And I, I'm lucky to have key managers that are so good. So we have water, water company is there. We have planning units. Even in this room, my planning officer is here with us. We have the education, the education is also there. I mean, director for health is also, so all these departments, we, we come together and we have what we call executive committee. So it is the executive committee, we all meet together, take decisions. Then before our women take it to the assembly, the assembly is also being chaired by the presiding member. And within the assembly, we have various subcommittee. So we, we have a subcommittee in charge of environment. And we have director of environment. So the subcommittee of environment work together with the director of environment. And the director of environment work with also the, the director for the forestry. In our city, we have urban afforestation. So the urban afforestation is also there. And because we are maintaining the urban afforestation very well, in other countries, we are only concentrating in the forest belt, the forest zones, but we are seriously working hard to maintain the internal afforestation. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Honourable Mayor. You know, this will be broadcast uh, throughout the world, and I think it's important that people listening understand that this is why we talk about local uh, government finance. The Mayor himself just now, uh, I'm talking to the listeners now, has explained the way in which the city is dealing with the problems and is putting uh, Kumasi on, on the development path. And we want to use this series of interviews with mayors to advocate that local government finance is the way forward if you really want to develop. So I, I thank you, Honorable Mayor, for your very clear explanation of the way in which you have a handle on these issues that are going on right now. But let's come to the issue which is a crisis right now, which is the COVID crisis. Um, how are you coping? Um, the World Health Organization has defined three phases. And some of the mayors I'm speaking to, they are in different phases. The first one, of course, is the preparedness phase, where you are trying to prepare for and even avoid the crisis. Uh, but that, of course, has an economic effect, but it does not have a medical effect. That is the preparedness phase. The second one is the what they call the community transmission phase, where it's, it's too late to isolate, it's too late to, to test and isolate, and it is being, the virus is being spread across the community. 
And then the third phase is the recovery phase. But of course, the recovery can be an economic recovery. It's not just a medical recovery. So some of the cities we are interviewing, there is one in El Salvador, for example, they are in the recovery phase, but they are recovering from their own lockdown. They managed to avoid the infection, but they just need to recover from the, the preparedness, if you see what I mean. So how do you fit in into all of this? And how, how are you doing? Uh, over to you, Honorable Mayor. Thank you very much. See, I will start from the preparedness phase. In fact, uh, as a whole country, the first announcement on the COVID was made in January this year. So it was in January this year that the president himself made an announcement that the virus called COVID-19, that the coronavirus has now set in and is in other countries. So we need to get ourselves prepared for it. And as the president started by roping up with measures that we need to take. So we need to thank our president. So as early as January, the president made a direct declaration and directed that even though all the assemblies, we are having health committees. So we have a health committee to manage our health needs of the city. But we have to introduce, this time around, we need to introduce another committee that is solely going to be so helpful for that of the fight against COVID. That is Health Emergency Committee. So when we talk about Health Emergency Committee, it embraces that of the Health, Health Committee. And it also brings on board the Metropolitan Security Council, all the members of the Metropolitan Security Council. So straight away, you'll be having the Director of Health coming in, the military, the police commanders, the ambulance, all of them coming in, then the NADMO. So at the end of the day, you have a very rich committee which the president directed and straight away we did form it. So as early as March, then we started having the two cases. So when we start, the nation had two cases, the president directed that there should be a ban on public gathering. And when we talk about public gathering, then conferences were affected workshops were affected, funerals were affected, festivals were affected, rallies. Then he even added church, at church activities. So straight away, all these activities were asked to be on the other side, to be packed down, to stop. That is where our activities, that is where our duty started. Meaning that if the president direct, we need to enforce it, the enforcement state. So from that place, we, as the assembly, started by forming all our committees. Then immediately we formed our committees. Then we break it into three committees. The first committee to be broken was that of the education subcommittee. Then the education subcommittee, we brought on board expertise from the universities, then from the medical fraternity to come and give the committee a health education on the virus. So when we saw that the education committee has become so knowledgeable, it was there we ruled them out by moving them from radio stations to radio stations, re-educating them. And we also know that there were two important institutions that need to be sharpened for them to move out there. That is NCC, Nationals, uh, National Center for Civic Education. They are people that are mandated to be educating the citizenry. So we sharpen their skills and after that, we rule them out to go. Then we also have information department. So we brought the information department down with all their workers, train them and move them out. So the first area as an assembly, we spent a lot of money was on that of the education that of the education, sharpening the team that will be moving out to communicate to the people. Then from there, we move to the real actors themselves. That is the journalists. The journalists are the people that, are, that have become the mouthpiece. So every day they will be talking. In my city, we have more than 30 radio stations. So we brought all of them, lectured them on the virus, how they should communicate on the virus, how the education should go, 
Mm. How they have to educate the people not to frighten them, to give them hope, but to let them know that to be able to stay away from the virus, the protocols that you need to cope with, what you need to do in order not to attract it. So the preventive measures. So we took them through and rolled them out. Then the second team was the team to assess the capacity of the medical hospitals that we have, the health needs. So if the crisis comes, are they so capable? Do they have the capacity? Is the capacity enough? So immediately they also went round throughout the whole city, visit every health institute institution. Then after that came out the report on the number of even patients that the various hospital can cope. The hospital that can be used and the other hospital that cannot be used. So straight away as a city, we were able to select the various hospitals that has to serve as a COVID referral centers. So having identified them, the next committee's duty was a committee to also know surrounds to know where the vulnerables are. And the one that led that team was the social welfare director. And because our part of the world here, religion play a major role. About more than 90% of them are Christians. And once they are Christians, they belong to several religious streets. So we brought all the pastors, the reverend ministers, the bishops, also took them through the training and asked them to become also members, the key members in the education fraternity. They have to be educating their people because we know even though the churches have been closed down, now there's a, a technical way that they can reach their members because they were doing virtual services throughout. So through that service, you need to educate your people. So education, then how to enforce the protocols. We took them through all this and they also started very well. Then after assessing the hospital, uh, the institutional needs, then came the preparedness, the preparedness of the health institutions. So they gave us all their health needs, the PPEs that they will need, the isolation centers that they will need. That is where we have really suffered. Because after doing the assessment and, and comparing it with all the other places like US and others, we saw that we were not having the requisite institutions, the, number, the requisite institutions to be able to, to hold on if there should be pandemic, if the pandemic should be great, especially the areas of isolation. So we started talking to some of the hotels <laughs> to be taking over some of the hotels by renting it so that when there are crises, we can push people in. So as we are now communicating, we have several hotels that now we have taken over. We are paying them and using all these as isolation centers. Then by knowing the PPE needs of the various hospitals, that one to be put in charge the medical health director. So now we have the medical health director who is the chairperson for that. So all the private hospitals now, it's not a question of only the government hospitals. Now as an assembly, it has become our obligation in providing to even all the private hospitals support in the area of provision of PPEs. And this we also did to perfection. So if you look at the country Ghana as a whole, whereas the Accra one was skyrocketing, yet ours was sold down. Then again, because we have the biggest market in West Africa, it will tell you that the population was also in the market. And once the population too was also there, you are talking of preparation, preparedness, what do you do? So there too, we did realize that we can only achieve the distance by first of all, categorizing them into three lots. So we divided the total number into three. Then we were the first to even introduce color coding in the country. So what we did was that we brought color red, gold, green. So the first category was given color red. 
the second category, color green, then the third one, color gold, meaning that when it's not your turn, you have to stay at home. So every day we have two batches being at home. Then the one batch will come and work. So that was preparation time. That is what we also did. Then we also prepared some markets, some places, and moved some of the tree because they do bulk breaking in the market. What I mean by bulk breaking is that the, the vehicles bring the goods right from the villages. When, then it comes in a bigger truck. So first, they were offloading in the market. But with the advent of COVID, we created places where they will have to go and offload for them to be picking it in, in small quantities. This too, we did it. Then, still on preparation, we saw that to be able to reduce the effects of COVID, two things were key, disinfestation and disinfection, meaning that we first of all need to spray all the markets. This one, we really had a support from the central government. The central government helped us a lot by assisting us with a company called Zoom Lion. So the Zoom Lion came and sprayed all our markets with chlorine. Well, chlorine, as we all know, is so effective on viruses. So they did it, but the assembly did the second one. That is a disinfestation with the insects and others. So we did it in all our markets, in all our churches, in all other open spaces. We did everything so as to make sure we don't allow the viruses to. Then, so on preparation, we collaborated. We asked the military and the police to also come together. So now there was a joint team made up of the police and the military. This time around, we moved the military from the barracks to come out and assist us in a way of ensuring that the people adhere to the protocols. That is the two-meter distance protocol. And this, they did it, and that is what really helped us. Initially, it wasn't easy, but bringing all these security personnel out, meaning that you have to be paying a lot. So the preparatory stages wasn't easy at all. So I've talked about the spraying of the market. I've talked about educating the people, getting a place for isolation, then also to the transportation as a business. Here too, it was a very difficult thing. because a lot of the buses, a lot of the trucks were an air-conditioned one. There was no entry for air. So some of them, we need to assist them to do a lot of openings. Then again, too, for the various buses and the small cars to reduce their numbers, it also isn't easy at all. But we were able to dialogue with them, meet them halfway, and they, they did it. So these are some of the things that we did. Now, as a nation, the president also directed for all borders to be closed, and the borders are still closed as till now. So now all the borders are closed. So we need to make sure that we don't run short of anything. But the most important thing is that now he has allowed for very essential things to come, especially drugs. So the drugs, even though the borders are closed, but when it has to do with drugs, that's when we allow it to come. So these are all the things that we did. But now we have moved from the containment because now as a whole country, the number has increased almost up to 12,000. Now it's 12,000. So meaning that once it has gotten to 12,000, then the rippling effect is there. So from the director, the general director of health services, it is, we have reached the communal speed. But what the president also did here was for the president to assist us, and he has assisted us in the area of communal tracing. That is now they are tracing to the viruses. They are tracing. So anybody who reports positive, the next thing that the tracers has to do is to trace those people that he has come into contact with. As an assembly, the one area I didn't mention, which I cannot cross over, is the supply of PPEs 
to the various community, especially the Veronica bucket. So now every community that you go, we have a Veronica bucket there. Every market you go, you have a Veronica bucket there. So we supply them with the Veronica bucket. We supply them with the tissues. We supply them with the soaps. Then we supply them with the sanitizers. All these things are going on. Then as an assembly, the tracers too is our responsibility. Fortunately, just about four months ago, the president brought us a lot of ambulances, very new ambulances. So now all these ambulances, even though initially it wasn't our responsibility, but it was the responsibility of the ambulance service uh, to be fooling them, but now it has become the responsibility of the assembly because we need to fool them, we need to support them, because now the communicate is that if you sit in your house and you look at the conditions that you are going through and you suspect yourself, you have to call the ambulance. So straight away, we prepare them in such a way that they will quickly come for you. So they look at the number of times the ambulance will be running. So their number of times they run determine the number of fuel that they will come for. So these are what we are doing now. So with the communal spreading to now, a lot of people have gotten it, but 12 million is not a small number. But if 12,000, sorry, 12,000 is not a small number, but out of the 12,000, our portion in it is 2,000. Yes. You know, Mayor, Honorable Mayor, I think that the measures you described earlier if you, uh, will have been very effective. And if you can um, continue them for a little bit longer, you can slow it down again. Because, you know, um, one even the people that have it, if, if it's possible for them to be isolated, then once they get better, the virus has nowhere else to go. So it's a really tricky thing to do, but you, you seem to be managing it and you're describing very well but again, the role of local governments in managing this, it, it's, it's all of local government. It involves the police, the uh, army, the education. It's not something for the Ministry of Health to manage. It's something for the mayor to manage. And that's an argument that we've been making in other countries as well, that um, those nations that have given this job to the Ministry of Health are not doing as well. Uh, those nations that are saying, actually, this is a local government thing are the ones that are managing it uh, better. Um, but finally, uh, Honourable Mayor, I want to ask you one last question, and uh, this is about how you will rebuild your fiscal space afterwards. So, you know, you're describing all these things that you're doing, very effective uh, and uh, responsible measures. But given the lockdown that has taken place, uh, you must be, have a, a decline in your fiscal receipts. So how will you rebuild your local government fiscal space particularly when it comes to these blended finance, these um, loans that we are talking about. Uh, so that is something we are also, as you in CDF, happy to work with you on. I mean, we try to be a center of excellence for local government finance in terms of working out ways to rebuild your fiscal space and how to maybe bring in new forms of taxation. You know, one of the things that we've been discussing, uh, Honorable Mayor, is that you have a lot of these digital providers uh, like the Amazons and the Ubers and the Airbnbs uh, and maybe a local version of those. And they use local government services. They use the city. They drive along city roads to make their delivery. But they don't pay tax to the city. In fact, sometimes they don't even pay tax to the country. Yeah. So uh, there has to be a new way of looking at the growing sectors and trying to get some revenue from them to rebuild the fiscal space. And that's another thing that we can talk with you about uh, later. But I just wanted to, just before we close, to hear your thoughts on how to rebuild uh, fiscal space uh, after this crisis. Over to you. Thank you very much. You see, this crisis has really brought us all to sit down. It has really aided us to sit down to rethink. Because as an assembly, now the two key people who has become very, very relevant is that of the planning and the budget. Because now, the first thing that we need to do is to look at our budget. And we need, we need to review our budget. That one is very important. And in our assembly, for instance, we have a revenue accountant. So the revenue accountant, too, so we are thinking of, we are thinking in line with what you are saying. That is how do we widen our task net? How do we widen the net? And how do we cut down the expenditure? This is where we are now. 
because initially we were not even looking at night taxing people doing businesses in the night. But because of the situation where we are now, especially with regard to reducing the number of people that were doing the daytime and others, now we are introducing even not night taxes for the traders that work in the night. Then, like you rightly said, there were a number of vehicles that were applying our rules that do not even join the unions. They were working, but they were not joining the unions. So it was so difficult even in tracking them for them to pay taxes. But with the advent of this, with the advent of the COVID, now we have introducing a new system whereby each of the vehicles is now being given a, a tax. So it's like now we are doing the sun source of vehicles within our municipalities. Had it not been COVID, we wouldn't have gotten there. So now we will know all the total number of vehicles on our road and we will tax them accordingly. Those doing, doing business that we were not taxing them, we have to tax them. And again, as a, as a city, there was this law that those who have succeeded in getting the right document to build, they were the people that we were taking the property rich and others for. But uh, others who were coming for the permit before they built, they were the people that were getting money from them. But with this advent, we realized that what happens to all those who have built without permit, what do you do? Because a lot of them have built, they don't have permit, but they have built. They are introducing the penalties for them to be paying. So we are all thinking alongside with you. And we have also decided as an assembly that in going forward, we need to save towards future unknown events. Saving towards future unknown events. Because now we have decided that whatever money that will come through our normal internal generation, we need to keep at least 5% invested somewhere. So if we have done that, now that revenue has really declined, we would have fallen, we have fallen on it. Then apart from that, the assembly is also now going to have a, an economic unit. That is why we are looking for the money. Because if you are able to get the funding support, we are now going to make sure we get a lot of money from the sanitation area, that is waste management. Because currently we've realized that the way to go is to make sure you have a clean city. And if you have a clean city, it means that the polluter must pay. And if the polluter must pay, then it means that if you have dustbins on all over, each house you have a dustbin in front. So if the assembly is able to acquire vehicles, if the assembly is able to acquire vehicles, then straight away, the assembly can take it upon ourselves through our waste management department, only by getting compact trucks. So if you get the compact trucks, get the dustbins, provide it to the people. Every month, you tax the people for them before you clear all the waste. It's an area we will get a lot of money. Then another area that is also there, which this time around, the assembly will need to make do investment in that area is about how to recycle the waste. Mm, because now we, ma we are managing the landfill, but we want to move away from managing the landfill to recycling the waste, especially in the area of plastics. If you're able to recycle the plastics, we'll be making money. So there are a lot of economic activities that the assembly is now looking up to, to getting involved. This COVID has taught, really taught us a lesson. But we will need your support because like when we were starting, you were asking me about if there was a question. It's not a question, it's an appeal. Because all what we are interested now is that we have a lot of investment opportunities which the assembly, when the assembly gets into it, we can have money to rebuild our city, especially in the area of tourism. We need to build, as a city, we have an area we can build 20 numbers of museums. 20 numbers of museums, because we really want to put our city as a destination, a tourism destination for people to come in, and yet we will be getting money. If we are able to get this funding, we will invest in the area of education because now a church 
would the university indicate that with the number of applications every year, we are able to take only 37%, meaning that the demand is there. So when we have money, it's an area we can go in there. The problem that is facing the university and also providing us an, a business opportunity is in the area of accommodation. Now the university is able to accommodate less than 35% of the students in campus and all the remaining 65 have to find them their way outside, which doesn't enhance security. The land is there. So all what they need is for the assembly to come on board. We have realized that one thing that is going to help sell the assembly is to have an industrial site. To have an industrial site. And if you're able to have an industrial site, yes, we have the land. All what we are looking for is the fund. And apart from fund, looking out for investors to come partner with us to be able to do this. Then like if you have visited our nation, if I visited our capital before, we have the airport in Accra and we have an airport city around the airport. Fortunately for us, we have also preserved our land around the airport. So now that we are about to have an international airport, the airport city has to be built. We are, we are looking for investors to come. Then a lot of conferences are eluding us because the conference hall facility that we have as a city cannot take lots. And therefore, we are looking for partners to be able to build a very big conference facility. And that is going to help us attract a lot of conferences. So with all these things that I've said, all what we will need is your support to be able to get funding from outside. Well, thank you very much indeed, Honourable Mayor. I know you have that support. I mean, we are very pleased to be working with you on one of the first programmes for the International Municipal Investment Fund, and we will be approaching you soon on another programme about uh, trying to increase the revenue, uh, own source revenue, tax revenue, from new ways of doing that in the post-COVID world. And then, of course, these uh, initiatives like industrial parks and others... Absolutely. Once we get the first investment through, we can follow up. Uh, there's absolutely no problem with working on those uh, types of initiatives. I think you have your um, you you have a real clarity about how you want to move forward, and um, it's you know it's very interesting that uh, all of the mayors we have spoken to so far in these this, this series they also have. A, different approaches, but very specific approaches. So there was one mayor that said, look, we make a lot of oils. We have a lot of olive oils. This was a city in Morocco. We need to uh, export these olive oils as an organic olive oil. And we need to put our city brand onto that because in the past, they used to receive a lot of international tourists and the tourists used to buy the olive oil when they were in the city. And now the tourists won't be able to come for a while, but they can sell this olive oil, export it to the countries where the tourists are, so they can remember when they were in that city and then buy the, the olive oil. And so there's a lot of innovation going on. Uh, and you know the, the areas you have mentioned, the industrial parks, and in particular, the plastic recycling. We are already working... Um, in Senegal on, on, on that type of program. So I, I think we can approach you on, on, on some of these. Um, uh, Honorable Mayor, thank you very much indeed for this time. I, I hope that the listeners have also enjoyed to listen uh, to and to get inside and to understand both the passion, the dynamism, and also the problems that are being faced and challenges by these growing cities. Uh, but I'm, the main point of this series of podcasts is for the listeners to understand that you know, people say sometimes that don't understand, say, oh, local governments, they, ha they don't have the capacity. But just listen to Honorable Mayor, listen to the other mayors we are speaking to. There is a huge capacity, and that is the most appropriate level to organize things. And the good uh, example of Ghana is that your central government realized this, and your king in the Ashanti region realizes this. So I think Ghana has a very fortunate institutional arrangement that is enabling you to move forward with these type of uh, initiatives and even this subnational borrowing. And that will be of the benefit to the whole of Ghana in the future. 
because uh, the countries that have not yet worked that out, they are holding themselves back unless they can set their local governments free. So, Honourable Mayor, thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation and I've learned a lot and I hope we uh, speak again. And again, thank you for the hospitality you've given to our team, even though it's been a virtual hospitality on the conversations you've had on the International Municipal Investment Fund. And thank you to Amadou Sai as well, who is, of course, logistically organizing this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Capital Locust, the local government finance podcast from the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Thanks for listening. See you next week.